there's a lot that goes into it outside of just where your fitness is. You know, it's a life thing as well, decision that you have to make right. to, to, to continue to pursue that kind of level. You know, you're talking 415, 417 and, you know, what you're not taking, what the, what the, what the clock doesn't take into account is when you get to mile 10, 11 of the run and you know where you're at. Yeah. And the extra motivation, it's like, okay, here I am. I mean, this is everything I trained for and everything I've wanted for many years. Um, I think, you know, that would have brought that time down just a little bit more. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpre.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today um, used to have a ton of certifications, and I will shortly ask him why he doesn't have those anymore, Um, ranging from USA Triathlon, USA Cycling, um, Ironman Mentor, all kinds of things. But he is, um, at least I think still, coach of Paralympic gold medalist and world record holder Sean Morelli. He is my coach. Um, if you need accounting, he is a certified public accountant, so that makes him well qualified for being here on the Smart Athlete Podcast. And if you have not seen it, he really is kind of the progenitor of the show. On episode one, he was my very first guest. Welcome to the show, Ryan Ross. Wow, wow that makes me feel special. I didn't know that. Man, what <laughs> yeah, a pioneer. Well, see, and I thought to, you know, we were, we're a little low on, on scheduling right now, and I was like, you and I have plenty to talk about before we got going in the actual recording. We talked for like 40 minutes yeah. and had to like <laughs> had to cut off. But um, I kept thinking, I was like, you were in episode one. I'm like, so I definitely want you to come back for episode 100 just because I like nice numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but that's. You, you've seen my workouts. I like nice, even numbers. And, you know. Right. I, I mean, I did that. I did, you know, your workout this morning. You set for me an hour long, five by five. Mm-hmm easy run to tempo to 10 K pace. Um, trying to avoid as many people stay six feet away from them as I could. <laughs> <laughs> Not an easy task. So people don't seem to care, but are, so are we, are we going to discuss social distancing and economic stimuluses and all that this? It's all there. It's all, I've got those topics, all right. all the kind of good topics for us today. So some of this, I, I want to try to make as much of this like evergreen. So if you're listening to this in the future and we're past all the coronavirus uh, issues. I, oh, I, wanna, I still want to make this podcast relevant to you, um, but obviously that's a big thing going on right now. So, yeah. But so first, I have to ask. So I know you've um, lovingly chose to continue to coach me, even though you've moved away from coaching a lot of other people. Um, so why why drop all the certifications? Just is it is there like an ongoing fee you have to pay every year to keep them, or what's the deal? Well, that is definitely part of it. There's there's on there's ongoing fees, but there's also uh, time in keeping those memberships as well. So you got it's time. You know, it's like everything else in life. It's time and money type thing. And right. you know, I did make a conscious decision a, a couple of years ago to coach less people than what I had in the past. Yeah. And so there really just was not when you consider the time and money, it it, it did not make sense for me to continue to maintain those certifications. And I'm sure a lot of people can appreciate that, you know, the certifications and the education and the continuing education after a while, it's like, okay. And what additional incremental benefit am I getting 
from this. And so just, it was just really a, taking into account everything. It did not make a lot of sense. Right. And so sometimes I think about that too, um, for those listening on iTunes and are not familiar with the YouTube channel, I do a show on running called Runner's High. So I thought about that too, because I, I don't have any, you know, I've not got my USATF certification or anything like that, but it's like, I've been around so many coaches. I've, I've, you know, helped um, coach a few people over the years and officially been, you know, like a high school coach for a short time. And um, so it's like, I have experience with coaching and in the developing side, especially considering um, I would consider myself a natural, not natural talent in that I have some natural ability, but a lot of it is just simply grinding out what natural ability I have to a higher level. So it's like, through that process, you have to learn all these little things that just mm -hmm. reading a book don't necessarily tell you. So, yeah, that's what I thought about for you, too. It's like, you, okay, if you don't pay your dues, you lose the certifications. It doesn't erase all the memory of all the things that you learned exactly. to like be able to coach all these people. You yeah. know, And if you're not marketing yourself predominantly as a coach anymore, then it's not as critical yeah. to, to have those either. That that's well said. And I think like in your situation, I like you were you were definitely, in my opinion, born with some natural ability to run well. And that right. gets you a really long way. And then you add a little bit of, like you said, the grit and grinding it out and, and the work ethic. You pile you know, pile a little bit of work ethic on top of that natural ability, you know, adds like the, the varying coaching you've had over your life, and then you get to a little bit higher level than what your natural ability is giving you. So um, but, uh, yeah, it's hard to replace natural ability. I mean, right. Well, and even, I mean, even I experienced that and then the ceiling, you know, we, when we started working together, I wanted very, very clear about, I wanted to be a professional triathlete and just that ceiling is just like right below that threshold, <laughs> um, tantalizingly close or, you know, possibly had I not crashed at Eagle man, you know, I may have qualified there. I, mm -hmm. I, that, that one it bothers me in my mind because I know so to qualify, I would have had to have finished about four hours, 15 minutes and projected time, depending on how that run went, it would have been like 415 to 417, like right in there. Yeah. So that's one of those things. It's just it's left on it's work left undone. But at the same time, like I I mentioned on numerous episodes of numerous guests, just I was so broken after that. I just don't have the will to put in the hours anymore to continue pursuing and i spent so many years of my life on it that's like it was time for me to shift but well maybe like like you said maybe it's just something that gave you the signal of where you know where you're at i mean there's a lot that goes into it outside of just where your fitness is you know it's a life thing as well decision that you have to make right to, to, to continue to pursue that kind of level you know you're talking 415 to 417 and you know what you're not taking what the what the what the clock doesn't take into account is when you get to mile 10 11 of the run and you know where you're at yeah and the extra motivation it's like okay here i am i mean this is everything i trained for and everything i've wanted for many years um you know that would have brought that time down just a little bit more yeah well and it's, it's tough too because i could get if I knew that, I think it would be tough because I would start getting emotional. Because even at we were talking about this, we were talking about Tin Man, which is this last time I did it, it was only 50 people. And Tin Man was the very first time I ever won a race. 
So it kind of tells you, like, I have some talent, obviously, to win a race, but it's only 50 people, so it's not like nationals yeah. or the world championships or anything. But even there, like, when I, with, it was with, like mile four and a half, and I passed the leader on the run, and I knew it was basically mine to lose at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, I was having a hard time keeping it together. Because it had been almost 20 years of, of racing and never winning, and, like, it like it right now. I'm trying not to cry just thinking about it. Like it's still that vivid, it's still that vivid in my head that it, like it was that important. I'd spent so many hours and years in in literal blood, sweat, and tears, like trying to get to that point of just winning something. Yeah, that it was like I really had to just focus on one step at a time. Don't think about yeah. the finish line. Because like my breathing was starting to get like ragged and screwed you gotta up. Gotta relax. Yeah. So you it's like relax. so that's the other thing too. Knowing having gone through that and know, you know, had I got the to the end of that uh, that seventy point three, you know, I think ignorance is almost bliss where it's like, maybe I'm there, maybe I'm not there. Just get it out as hard as you can, get everybody you can. Yeah. And just see how the, the chips fall. But yeah, yeah that's, that that's kind of the challenging thing about the seventy point three you're talking about is you don't, in regards to that qualification, you don't actually know specifically, you know, where you're at type thing, which makes right because people are so spread out, it's hard to be like, yes, I got, I like, there was this many people. Yeah. You lose people in transition, you lose people on the bot, like it gets so, and even if you have, you know, like. Um, my girlfriend comes with me at races and she tries to keep track of people, but there's so many people. It's hard to always keep track of that's, that's the age group guy or that's the overall or that's, you know, they're doing the shorter distance and they're on the lot. Like it just becomes a cluster and it's hard to keep track of all those things. Yeah, it does. That's one of the, uh, uh, to a triathlon we were talking about like the spectator friendly part. And yeah, um, it's not like running loops or running laps around the track. Is it back in the old day? Huh? No, and, and well, even then, people. I I I recall a specific uh, 5K at um, University of Central Missouri that they had dedicated lap counters. They so each lap counter had two runners, mm-hmm. so that you wouldn't have you know each lap counter wouldn't have a bunch of people to take care of. My lap counter lost a lap on me, and I can't. <laughs> I'd come. I'd come around, and he'd say ten, and I'd say eleven, and he'd say eleven, and I'd say twelve. I had on my watch, I had the laps on my watch. So I'm like, I'm just, I was like, he clearly is not. And one of the yeah. other lap counters was like, had to correct him. Cause I was running with somebody that was, that they were counting. Mm-hmm. And so even running on the track is not, you know, things. Not an exact science. Yeah. <laughs> it should Dude, be. I think. It should be. I feel like front of the track, you, those are, it's kind of a pain cause you got so many athletes, but on the distance events, if you just chip timed everybody and had a chip lap counter on, you know, at the start finish line, there's no question about, did they run all their laps? Mm-hmm. You know, same thing happened to me at um, university of Iowa. We were running the DMR. I was running the mile leg at the end. I finished my mile on like four forty, and they told me I had another lap to go. And I just gave up. So I, I ended up with an official mile time of like six minutes and I was just like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with you right now. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. 
Oh. So it track is not as it should be simple, but it's not <laughs> it's not as simple yeah. as as we want it to be. Um, so I want to kind of get to a little bit more kind of relevant topics besides my life. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, obviously we're dealing with kind of lockdowns and shutdowns and businesses oh, yeah. and the economy and everything right now with coronavirus. But um, so that makes a large impact on culture as a whole, as somebody goes running by my house here. Um, but on a micro scale, huh? Were, were they maintaining their distance from the person next to them? It's just one person, so out on the sidewalk. Yeah, so I was uh, maintain distance from. You know, I, I took the family on a, a bike ride a couple days ago. Yeah. Uh, family bike ride, about an hour. Um, and we went through uh, Heritage Park. You've been there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty, it's a big park. Yeah. We won't even talk about what we witnessed there. <laughs> it was pathetic. Yeah, the the, the track around the lake is like two miles, two point two, something like yeah. that. I used to do a brick workouts out there. And you know, you know that parking lot. There's like a marina parking lot. Yeah, there wasn't a parking space available mm. in that parking lot. That's so it was, it was very crowded. Yeah, well, that's why it, it continues to be an issue here. Lack of social distancing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the what I want to ask you about though is like obviously the intention of reducing the number of crowds together and stuff has canceled races, postponed races, which disrupts a lot of people's race seasons. Um, and I've seen comments on Reddit and Facebook and other places, people getting really like unmotivated to do anything now that the races are canceled or postponed or, or whatever they've been, you know, training for these events, but coronavirus aside, and this is the part where I hope this is relevant, you know, well past the, this time period is that sometimes stuff just happens and oh, yeah. races get canceled. You go to a race and it gets canceled or you get a flat tire. I, I've certainly done that. You know that. how that is, don't you? I do, unfortunately. Yeah. And, you crash and break a clavicle, or <laughs> it's, it's been a series of, of uh, uh, unfortunate events for me for the last like three years. But you know what? How do you deal with these like unforeseen changes in race schedules? Things that you have no control over and that yeah. change your perspective. Yeah, you know this is like grief. This is like the stages of grief that that some athletes are going to go through. I do think, though, that it's okay to have that initial reaction like a lot of people are having, like the loss of motivation. What do I do now? I think that's okay. I think you have to have that as part of as part of your um, response. If you had a, a you know if you had a big race, especially in this time frame of April to June, kind of time frame of of the the loss, and you know what, I think that's okay. But you know, I used to ask athletes I coach all the time when we would be on the topic of motivation and you kind of know how I feel about that subject. I mean, it's everything. And I would say that's the, that's the title of your episode for episode one motivation is everything. Is it? Yeah. So, so I, w I would sometimes ask athletes, I'd say, well, let me ask you this. If there was no races, if there was no events, would you 
still do workouts? Would you still swim? Would you bike? Would you run? Would, would you row? Would you do still do your sport at all? And typically the answer is I would do it, but I wouldn't do as much or mm -hmm. I wouldn't be as intense. And I think right now for most of those athletes who had a spring race that's gone away, I think that's probably a really good place for them to be is you should still keep your body moving because if not, nothing else, you know, we have a huge mental health challenge going on in our country right now. Right. And we, we know that exercise helps that. And there's an increase in exercise activity right, right now. That's why when I went to the park the other day, when we rode through the park as a family on our bike ride, there were, like I said, no parking spots. People were walking. They were on bikes. Um, they were doing frisbee golf, all, I mean, all kinds of stuff, equestrian, people were out and moving. And I think that that's really good. And the endurance athletes have to do that. You can't shut it down. You need to do exactly that. Now you need to start out by just saying, I'm still going to exercise because I love it. You can't swim because no facilities are open, right. but cycling, running, strength work, other modes of, of endurance activity are absolutely, um, you know, open for season. And if, if anything, people have more time on their hands now because mm -hmm. they have less options to do other, th other things. And so I am, I am hopeful that those who lost their event will at first, you know, go through that, that initial, I'm depressed. It's a, almost like a grief type feeling, but then I hope that they'll continue to exercise and, and keep that going. Then after a while, the question is, well, what do I, you know, what do you do now at that point? What do you, what are we going to, what's the mindset going to be in June? And a lot of it is, I would say, we don't know because we don't know where the country is going to be at. We don't know where we're going to, where we're going to be at in this, this fight against, against this virus. So you got to have a little bit of patience. You got to bring some patience to it, I think. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of emotions at play, but I think, I think being patient is a very important emotion. You can start to look for, obviously look for other events at that point. Or, you know, I've talked to some people who are creating, um, you know, us endurance athlete types are very uh, type A, obviously, mm -hmm. very, you know, motivated, goal-driven, processes, outcome-oriented, all that kinds of stuff. I think for a while, it, there's a, a need to be a little bit less type A and to explore your inner type B a little bit and relax a little bit and not worry about it so much if you've lost your event, you know, just kind of chill. And like I said, do exercise. I mean, ride the bike, run, do your strength training, do whatever it might be that keeps you active and moving. But eventually it could be time for some alternative type fitness goals. And I've seen a little bit of that as well. A lot of people talking about that. Um, of the, of the few people that I, I coached, um, several have lost their events and have thought about other types of goals, goals that are a little bit more, I mean, they don't have the appeal of like doing a big event, but doing something like, um, you know, I just want to focus on this aspect for a while. I'm going to focus on the bike. I, I have an athlete who made goals based upon um, their strength, their body strength and wanting to improve that. So even if you if we're not able to jump back into event oriented goals here in a couple months, you can definitely jump into other alternative types of goals so that you feed your type A, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, but 
even with feeding your type A, you still have to be motivated to do it. So it has to be a meaningful goal for you. It has to be something that's relevant to you. Um, I think talking about that with, you know, your coach, with other athletes about, hey, you know, like, what are you doing or what's motivating you or, you know, what's getting you up in the morning? What's your goals? Do you have anything? I mean, having those kind of conversations is really good because it helps get some ideas out there. But I think it's very possible to create it may be it may be an opportunity to create some unique goals that are still fitness oriented for yourself. Well, I think you know I think accountability plays into it a lot too. You know, I like we were talking about to begin with. I don't have near the motivation I did several years ago to train, but we're still training essentially at the yeah. I'll say at the same kind of intensity. We're you know I'm focused more on the shorter distance races now, but it's like having that accountability where you know, I get on training peaks or I get my email and you said, you know, like, like with a bike workout uh, from this week, you know, what was it? Six times, four minutes on, three minutes off. You said, you know, 280 to 300 watts. And if you had just said high threshold, I probably would have been maybe 270 and been like, yeah, that's good enough. You know, 270, 275. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were like 280 to 300. So it's like that feeds into my kind of, um, I've always had, I don't know if it's a need for approval, but I, I've always done well with somebody saying, you know, jump and I say, hi, ha- how high? And you say five meters and I say, I'll give you five and a half. I, <laughs> I don't quite understand. You know, I don't know that I understand all my own motivations, but I know that I respond well to that. So having that accountability is like crucial for me in terms of still continuing to move forward. And I know like, like with the run this morning where, kind of working on it works starting to work into 10k speed you know we've done a couple other um workouts where i just felt like crap um starting with the speed stuff but it's like our initial things and then this morning like felt much better you know Mm -hmm. legs are moving a lot smoother at higher pace lungs aren't working as hard and i just feel good moving fast and kind of my whole point yeah that's what the point of the shorter distances. It's like I like feeling good going fast. Yeah, and for you, basically what we've done in the last couple of weeks is move come from kind of general to more specific because right. the event which um, it's it you, you, it's not canceled yet, is it? Kansas City. Yeah, it's postponed. It is postponed until yeah. when? D- didn't say. Didn't say. Yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> You're gonna to have to go through that whole process then. Of what's gonna be next then? Um, well, yeah, I, I, always do, I always do poorly at kids. Like the last, I don't know. Ever since they had, they introduced the elite amateur wave, I've done poorly. Like, like the the year I was dealing with, like my dad had cancer, and I was like doing chores for him all that week, and I was totally zonked out. Mm-hmm. You know, the year last year, I had the flat tire. The first four minutes into the butt, like. It's just consistently terrible. So I don't really care yeah, about the race. It's just it's just a scrub race to me. Like and now this. Do something. Yeah, and now this. Well, you know, one thing with you is, you know, as you mentioned, you're not training quite as much as you used to. Right. I'm and not going out for five hour rides on Sunday with a half hour run afterwards. Yeah, and we're replay and you know, the with not being able to swim, you've replaced that with some kind of chill time, which I have no yeah. problem with. Right. But you can uh relative to your history, you know, you're not 
you, you have no risk. And one thing we should talk about is the risk of overtraining and hard workouts right now. But because I've thought about that with the athletes I work with is how hard should you be working right now? Right. And we'll get, I think we should get into that because I think that's important. Um, but for you, I mean, with what you're doing, you're not, you're not depleting your immune system with what you're doing because your history, I mean, is, has had such higher periods of higher workload right. that your body is not going to like, you know, go into immune system depletion because of what you're doing now. But you can maintain a really nice quality of those workouts and hitting those those types of targets. Well, so I, I think that I get, I get feedback too when really I when I when we work hard or work through a new period. I get feedback in in terms of I just get zonked. I'm tired. I start feeling like I need to take naps. I don't want to work. I, you know, I have other work around the house to do, like stripping paint off doors and like <laughs> doing yard oh, work. You- Oh, I didn't know you did that kind of stuff. I'm going to get you over here, man. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've got a whole, like, I've got a whole, because I've got lead on, it, the lead paint in my house. So I'm stripping, like, the door behind me here is dark because I've stripped it and refinished it and stained it. It was this, like, tannish color that the trim is. Um, but there's lead paint at the bottom. So I've got all my PPE, the face mask, and the, in the suit, yeah. I've got a tent set up in the garage, and I've got HEPA oh, filter wow. vacuums attached to sanders and all kinds of stuff. To, to So for those listening, I live in a 1930s Tudor, and I'm trying to restore it to more original condition. Cool um, house, though. Very cool house. Yeah, so old house. So it's got old house problems. Um, but I – so I, you know, I try to devote time to doing that. Like, yeah. Like with the sanding, because I work out. I only I say okay I can only be in the tent sanding an hour a day like if I go longer than that I'll get too exhausted and if I don't want to put that hour in I know I probably am just either like like right now in this transitory period where we're trying to work into higher energy expenditure where we're doing higher and it's move from base to build phase and uh, or I'm just overtraining so I, you know I get that feedback pretty easily but. You and I talk about those things. How do I feel and like all that kind of stuff pretty often. Not everybody has that. So if you don't have that, yeah, that's where a coach is invaluable. <laughs> yep, I know. I, I I totally agree. Um, so like for you, like with Kansas City being canceled, have you thought about for you like how that affects things? You know, season wise. No, I mean. Not really. It does. Kansas City doesn't really affect my fitness, so to speak. Um, I still don't have a June race, so I'm I'm hoping it will be possible to have yeah. the race in June. Um, I don't want it to be in July because I like the the race in Joplin, and I, and I think I'm gonna uh, possibly give some product for swag bags for that race this year, okay. and the nationals in August. Okay. So really, I'm just like, yeah, maybe they'll postpone it a month. And if not, like, it's fine. I, you know, I, like I said, I, I like training more than I like racing. So if I don't race, then I mean, it is what it is. And we'll race whenever we can race. And yeah, maybe yeah, that's tough too. Cause we got vacation plan, but you know, maybe we'll push the season farther into September, October and do some, cross country races, some open races, you know, yeah. that I can get in, race with some collegiate guys or 
who knows? Um, overall, I'm not really worried about it because there's no, for me, and this is something I struggled with and it gotten to the point where I just accept that it doesn't matter. There's no point anymore. You know, I'm not trying to qualify for anything. I'm not trying to become a professional. I'm just doing it because I want to. So mm-hmm. if it doesn't happen, like I still like training, whatever. I, I mentioned this to my high school coach the other day. He posted something on Facebook. Um, and I said, you know, I, I race because I train. I don't train to race. Mm-hmm. You know, the racing is just a byproduct of my desire to train. And I, I hope that. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I hope people can find joy in training in and of itself. And I talk about this. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about when I said that I asked people, would you do the races? Would you do the training if there was no races? Because you find out if they have that type of that joy and that and they and they're not just doing it just to race, you know, that there's right. more to it. There's a, there's a passion for the sport as well. And so I think hopefully with a lot of people, you know, that that will come out in people as they go through this rough period right now that we're in. It, it, in some ways, I think it is forces people into living with their own minds. They, they can't go out and do things to distract themselves as much as they normally mm-hmm. would. So then it's a matter of like, I know there's a lot of restlessness and there's um, a lot of fervor is not the right word. Hatred isn't the right word either. Um, people are not happy with yeah. uh, with things and, and wealthy people and landlords and all these kind of things right now. <laughs> yeah, everyone, well, everyone has their own, you know, and a lot of it comes back to, to, to jobs and, and – yeah. You know what's going on with your career that you're in. I think that is probably, you know, that probably overshadows everything, and it, obviously it should. So yeah, I mean, it all trickles, kind of trickles down from there. Yeah. You know, well, what's going on with me financially and with my career and my job and my position and everything? So. Yeah, and this is something that's, this is this is really topical right now. But I I had shared um, the post you made the other day on your your CPA Facebook page talking about the the stimulus package um, and your thoughts on that with somebody who, um, so I have friends on both sides of the aisle. So I get kind of the outsides of both the left and the right in my Facebook feed. And I tend to argue with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I had, I had one, one friend talking about basically that landlords are leeches. And I was like, that doesn't even make sense. There are, I'm sure there are some landlords that are leeches, absolutely. But just as a generalization, that doesn't yeah. make sense, and I explained why. But then I also, on the other side, had somebody say, well, why don't we don't send out checks? We'll just say um, no income tax for the rest of the year so that people that are working get benefit and freeloaders don't. And I was like, well, that that clearly oversimplifies the issue of unemployment right now and everybody being laid off because of you know all the situation of – the economy being stalled mm-hmm. and you know, employers laying people off and then having no jobs. So it's like they didn't get fired for something they did. They got fired or laid off as a consequence of something completely outside of their control. So it's right. like, that's the point of a social safety net. So I was like, I disagree with both of these positions. So I kind of wanted to ask you in, in for, if you mind sharing no, for the please. record, kind of your thoughts on your take with, with the stimulus and um, 
why it hurts so much to agree with Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's my thing. Okay, so and I, I don't come from one side of the aisle or another. Um, I have voted uh, for both sides, and I plan to vote for both sides in, in, in the future. Um, I kind of wish we did not have a two-party system, but that's a completely different subject. Here's So just professionally speaking on the stimulus, I would say I don't agree with the checks that are going out, and I'll, I'll tell you why. There are fortunately some people in this world, some people in the United States, states who are financially not going to be affected by what's going on and i'll right. be honest with you and tell you that in my scenario for me personally um i don't for example i don't see my family i god bless being affected financially by this right. Right. um so the fact that they're sending me a stimulus check it's just like a big gift i mean i don't right. have i it's not gonna go towards anything uh essential. I'm going to be able to meet my essential needs. And there's going to be a lot of people like me. So a, a big chunk of the two and a half trillion is going to go to people who don't have an immediate need right now, who right. aren't affected by it, fortunately. So I think there's just some, some unnecessary spending right now. For now, for those who do need it, I think that's great that they're getting it. But I think we would be better off spending our money on unemployment because the people who lose their jobs or lose hours within their jobs are the people who need the help the most. And they're going to need a lot more than whatever the stimulus check is. Um, because the stimulus check, if you're using it to meet essential needs is only going to be like, how long is that going to be? I well, mean, in some, some cases they may, you know, $1,200, like that may cover a month's rent and maybe a change. Like, that's great. But unemployment covers you much long, much right. more much longer. So my thing was, you know, uh, fill up the unemployment system as much as possible and do this through through unemployment and, and make sure people are absolutely whole with what they lost from their previous position and that we make sure that it's funded well enough that the unemployment lasts longer than it typically might have. So these everyone who's losing, I, th I just think the money should have gone into that. I mean, right. two and a half trillion. Um, I, I think that it would have been better off going into that. Also, I think that, you know, part of being able to maintain your employment is that your, your employer can pay you and has money to do that. Um, there's a lot of money going into, um, there's a lot of money that's going to go into the hands of small business owners relatively efficiently and quickly, so they say. Um, we'll see how that actually plays out. Right. But um, that helps businesses obviously keep their doors, small to medium-sized businesses keep their doors open. I totally agree with that. I get that. You've got to keep the doors of the businesses open. Um, so I'm glad that that's in there. Uh, big business, you know, I don't think anyone says, oh, I like bailouts. Um, I don't think anyone wants to see them happen. Aside from um, the businesses themselves. Yeah, I mean, but it, it – Again, we it comes down to the workers and right. to the average middle class uh, and below worker who's at these jobs. And you know, if if you know, the airline is the big one. The airline and the restaurants are the big ones. And there's so many middle to lower income workers who we need to make keep them whole. And through bailouts, I I I agree that those you know unfortunately you know need to happen for them. So yeah. I, I'm glad that that's happening as well, you know? So, um, 
but I think if you were to take the economic stimulus checks out of the mix, you, you got a package. One thing I think about is, is where are we at five, 15, 25 years from now on this and, and our debt and what's passed along. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous amount of money. And yes, we have to do it because we cannot go into a depression right now. We cannot go into a depression because if we go into a depression, you know, when you, you know, like the left side of the aisle says, we got to put all this into healthcare because if, if people aren't healthy, it's not going to matter what the economy's like. And then the people on the right say, well, if the economy is not stable, we can't help the people on the left because the healthcare system will collapse. And you know what? They're both right. Um, they're going hand in hand. Um, I think what's harder to understand is that you do have to have a stable economy in order to help get people healthy. I think that one is harder to understand and to comprehend and for a lot of people to get a grasp on. But just think about it. I mean, if we're in a depression, I mean, if you have the coronavirus and you have underlying health conditions and we're in a depression, I mean, you're already not in a real good place to begin with. If we're in a depression, I mean, your ability to get health care is going to be substantially cut. I mean, I mean, so you do got to have to balance between we've got to keep the economy going, but we also do obviously need to fix our uh, this virus issue at the same time. So. I think the stimulus package is really good for the most part in doing this. Hopefully it gets passed. It's my understanding that there's, it's going to be delayed a little bit uh, because I, apparently there's a rogue congressman who's going to force a vote rather than a, he's going to force a roll call vote, which means a lot of politicians are going to head, have to head back to Washington now mm -hmm. to where previously they were just going to do it on uh, a voice vote in the House of Representatives. So it's going to be delayed, but it is going to pass. And it is it is going to help the economy. Um, I think the market's still going to struggle for a while. The stock market's still going to struggle for yeah. a while um, until the virus is under control. People are not going to be, con you know, it's just hard to be confident right now in this scenario with what's going on. We had a bump in the economy when the, um, the bill passed the Senate. So we got back some of our losses, but I think in general, I think we're going to, yeah, I think the, the stock market's going to be, you know, it's going to stay um, down for a while. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that that's the case. Yeah, well, but, some, some people would argue that we were overinflated anyway, but I'll, yeah. so I'll, I have to back up a little bit thinking about bailouts or big business. I'll be the first to say that thinking about um, 2008 and bailouts for um, automakers and, and the banks, banks for a long time, I was definitely a proponent of let them fail. Like that's, <laughs> you know, that's capitalism. Like if yeah. you didn't prepare, you go bankrupt. Like you, you stop existing. That's, that's how yeah. it works. Um, so I think people have struggled with that, but then my staunchly Democrat father was like, you will have to bail them out because you need people to have jobs. Um, Cause if you lose all those jobs and you, you know, made things worse, mm -hmm. So it's like it's a balance, but I also think about, and I think you mentioned this in your, in your post, um, specifically now uh, with the bailouts that, and I don't think there is in, in the in the stimulus package. There should have been some provision about inability for corporations to use money on buybacks for a certain period of time, or yeah. you know, it's just like that's part of the reason that they're in trouble is they used their cash reserves for stock buybacks which inflated their 
stock price and helps shareholders, but then worsens the health of the company. You know, yeah. I, they're obviously, especially when you're talking about such large numbers, that like an airline runs, you know, I, the businesses I run are nano sized in comparison. Yeah. But so it's like you, you, as an investor or your stockholder, you always want capital to be invested in making more capital instead of sitting on the sidelines. But you also need, like, I feel like there has to be some accountability and responsibility for bad choices, especially when you're, you know, in our economy and our culture, we're, you know, proposing a essentially capitalistic society with some socialistic uh, fail safes. It, it's just like there has to be punishment for bad actions at some point or, yeah. or restrictions. And you can't, because otherwise, then it is just a matter of we'll do whatever we want and we're big enough the government will bail us out if we screw up. And you can bank on that as a business strategy, which is not right. Yeah. Well, um, we this the bill has it. It has oversight. Yeah, I mean, it has some oversight in terms of. I I, I was glad that it had, um, as far as I know, oversight for like any of Trump's businesses can't benefit. Yeah. I think any of the Congress members, you know, yeah. family them personally can't benefit from the stimulus. Um, I think that's more than reasonable. Um, which actually leads me to a different question. Mm-hmm. Um, and this takes us back in history, and I, I'm going to be a little fuzzy on the details, but I know. Um, so, like Carter had to divide. Div- he put his uh, farm in what was it? Was it a blind trust or a double blind trust? Oh gosh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure on that one. Anyway, so he he basically had to give up control of his business when he became president, and whoever was in control of it screwed it up, and he basically lost it after he stopped being president. So, like. I don't understand, now we're getting political, but I don't understand why Trump doesn't have to divest himself of his business interests to be president like Carter had to. So I just didn't know if you knew more about that. So it's my understanding he he wasn't required to divest, but I think he had to reduce some of his ownership, and he okay. obviously doesn't have the same type of roles that he used to. Right. Um, but I think there was some divesting done down to certain like percentages of liquidity and things like that. So I do think that he had to reduce some. Okay. Um, but for the most part, I think he still, yeah, he still has, he still has ownership. Um, but obviously he's not, he can't be doing like management type stuff. I mean, right. There's that just, would be there's too much absolutely to do. impossible, you know, um, but make no mistake, there are a lot of people in Washington who are involved with businesses, a lot. Yeah. yeah. So it almost creates like, do you really want to say that a politician, can, I mean, because a lot of, you know, again, not to go one side or the other, but, you know, there's some brilliant people in the business world. Yeah. Who we need more of them in Washington. And we right. don't want to take away that you know, that they have to get out of their business because I mean, let's face it, it's a massive pay cut <laughs> for most of them right. if they go work in Washington. Um, so we don't want to take away that ability, uh, I, in my opinion, of a business owner to have to divest their business because um, it, could, it could take away from their motivation to go to Washington. And we'd right. love to have some of them. Right. So you kind of see the, 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 the argument both ways where it's like you don't want them – 
to go to Washington and try to make uh, legislation that positively benefits them or maybe deregulates their industry mm-hmm. and, and makes them able to exploit an industry. But at the same time, you don't want people that have my, – my dad talks about this with teaching. You don't want people making rules, in this case, about business that have no idea what business is about. In, in my father's right. case, he always talked about politicians in Jeff City legislating yeah. about teaching when they've never taught. Oh, yeah. I totally, yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's the same thing. I, I absolutely agree with that. I, mean, the, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the whole the whole like stick of the whole thing is that you have to find a balance, and that's the ugly part about politics is yeah. finding that balance and arguing to find it. <laughs> yeah, and here's one other thing about this stimulus thing, you know, um, that bothers a lot of people is there's still a bunch of crap in the bill, a yeah. bunch of stuff completely unrelated to. The coronavirus situation. I mean, there's like like the Kennedy Library thing and all that. I mean, it's just like so. There was a the the, the House's initial bill. I don't want to get into too much name calling, but let's just be real, real here. Nancy Pelosi created a bill, and it was like six trillion <laughs> because of all the stuff that got added. And there was like this laundry list of things you would read, like wind energy. And I, trust me, I'm for wind energy. I mean, we're in Kansas. I think wind energy is awesome, but there's a time and a place to address certain situations. This was just definitely not the time or the place. So mm-hmm. part of our two and a half trillion is unrelated to coronavirus, but. I think I saw that, I don't know, I think this bill would probably have been better off closer to a trillion to trillion and a half, just lining up, like I said, lining the coffers of the unemployment system. Mm-hmm. The only downside of lining the coffers of the unemployment system is that unemployment, for people who don't know, um, like if you file for unemployment, you go through the state agency. So like here, if you become unemployed, you contact the state of Kansas. Department of Labor and they have an unemployment office and you apply for unemployment and then they do their due diligence and they see, you know, how much you made. They pull your employee records because your employer files an unemployment tax return every quarter that has your name on it. So they go through all that. Well, that whole process um, would have failed um, uh, without this bill because it, or excuse me, that whole process would fail if we had the type of unemployment we were are headed towards because the state unemployment, they're not ready to handle the onslaught of applications that would, that would be coming in. So that's why it's so important that we also have the aspect of the small businesses being able to keep their doors open. And because a lot of people are like, why do we need to give the money, any money to business? Well, (laughs) <laughs> we've got to have the businesses open. They've got to be able to maintain an ongoing because we don't want people ultimately going into the unemployment system, um, even if the coffers are lined, because we could overwhelm that system. And we talk about this curve on, you know, the healthcare situation. Well, we got a curve with unemployment, too, right. that they can really handle so much, so much work. So it's a well-balanced bill in that regard. We probably need to be closer to a trillion and a half, just focusing on my point my opinion more on unemployment and the things that keep the unemployment going, which is the small businesses and the big businesses, even though we have to bail them out, which I understand. I wasn't, when it came to the, the, the 08 buyouts that you mentioned, I mean, you had to bail out the banks. I don't think there was a question about that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you get into more arguments about the auto industry because a lot of people don't realize this, but we have three automakers in the United States, three major automakers, um, you know, GM, Ford, uh, uh, Chrysler. Ford didn't take any buyout money. Right. Because they were well positioned. Um, and so you have to, to ask the question is, well, hold on a second. What's going on that two of the automakers are crying for bailouts and one isn't? Um, what's going on here? It's not, it can't be an industry problem if one of the three is sitting pretty. Right. What's going on with the other two? And we still did the bailouts because there's a lot of workers. And yeah. Stuff. You do have to ask the question though, wait a minute. I mean, this can't be an industry only problem if one of the three is good to go. So that one was a little more debatable to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, so much, it's so much involved too. It's like, this is like, I feel like it's a false dichotomy of like, you know, only pay, only, only, you know, give money to businesses or only give money to citizens. It's like, well, we're, we're in an interconnected web and businesses, I'll say businesses are people. I don't mean the legal entity as a person, even though that's a whole other issue, but just that businesses are a collection of people that provide goods and, goods and services. Like <clears throat> if those people, you know, assuming we're not to the point of in complete automation, if those people stop existing, the business ceases to exist. So I, I think that's what we forget sometimes is that, that businesses are people doing things under the umbrella of a brand name or, or some kind of registered entity that represents them. Well, yeah. And what you have is with these small to medium sized businesses, you get into, those are driven completely by the entre entrepreneurial spirit of right. some individual, small group of individuals who um, have that, their, their gift um, is their entrepreneurial spirit and their, their skill set in regards to being a successful entrepreneur. And so that's at the thrust of small to medium sized business as well. And we got to keep that, we got to keep that going and help them keep their doors open, you know, as well. So, but so the trickles down to the employees and what we didn't talk about also is the bill that passed the week before with the expanded um, FMLA and the paid leave. Mm -hmm. And again, that's again, we're supporting both the business, small business and the employers there. And those are the ones they get, you know, directly affected some, you know, by um, the virus and how them or their family might be affected. So, again, money there is being pumped into the backbone of employment, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And giving, giving the employers a kickback if they pay someone who can't work for a period of time. Yeah. Um, this makes me back all the way up back to our, the beginning of our conversation, but it all, all kind of comes together thinking about um, the current situation is obviously very stressful, both in terms of people that are affected financially and just being cooped up in your house. Um, I always say Amy and I have trained for this because we work at home and we're basically cooped up together all the time anyway. And so, <laughs> so, so, so life hasn't changed a whole lot for us um, aside from, you know, no family, family dinners on Sundays um, and no getting out of the house on the weekend pretty much. But there, so there's a lot of stress involved and, and, you know, I've seen people mention things like it's okay right now to not be at like peak performance, either job wise or fitness wise in terms of your workouts. 
Um, so, you know, based on seeing, you know, the athletes you work with over the years, you know, how does family life stress affect training load and like, what can you do about it or can you do anything about it? Oh, you definitely can. I think now it's, uh, <laughs> that's, that, and that's a great question. You know, a couple things come to mind is, um, I think society in general, and I hate to say this, but I'm like anyone that, you know, I noticed kind of this through social media and such. I think, I think we're doing a really good job of, of exercising more right now. I, I think in general for the average person, not the average endurance athlete, I'm talking the average non-endurance athlete. Right. I think that person is getting outside more. I think they're moving around more um, because they realize how important it is right now. Um, that, you know, one thing we need to ask ourselves, whether you're that person or one of us as endurance athletes, you know, you got a choice. You can come out of this, you're either going to, you know, whether it's 30 days or 90 days, there's going to be a point where which we can go back to normal. And do you want to be more fit or less fit? I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of the bottom line. And do you want to reduce your stress more or increase your stress more? And so I think the exercise has a huge role to play in that. You know, like the example I gave you a little while ago, like we loaded up the family, went on an hour bike ride, you know, type thing. So this is one of those unique opportunities to do a a little bit more of this exercise with the family. I've watched my kids, you know, my wife got them doing their little kid boot camps and burpees Mm -hmm. and they're doing their burpees and their mountain climbers and running, running sprints up and down the street, you know, social distancing, of course. Um, I think this is a huge opportunity to learn how important it is to uh, reduce stress on the body by doing exercise, not training as aggressively maybe. Um, If you're one of those people who shouldn't be training as aggressively, and there are definitely some of those that I think we should talk about those as well. So yeah, I mean, I think this is, I'm seeing it. Uh, I'm seeing it in social media. I'm seeing it when I just go to the park. how many people are there and they're moving around and some of them are observing social distancing like there's do some are not, but it, it is nice to see so many people I'm blown away who are out doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the gym I go to for, uh, that I do go to a lot of strength training. I teach some strength classes there as well. Um, they're doing what a lot of smaller to mid-sized gyms are doing, and they're doing online classes. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I wondered how well those would be attended. And what I've learned in observing um, through the live feeds and stuff is people are into them. People are doing it. People are maintaining that, and, and they're into it. So I think, I think in general, I think society is, from an exercise standpoint, and, and using that to reduce stress and to spend more time with people, um, that they're close to, I think we're responding really well so far. Yeah. You, you kind of mentioned this is like, it, it, this is an opportunity to exercise more. And I, I kind of see it, it could be, it could be, well, it could be, but it's like, I just in general, like anytime there is a disruption and it could be coronavirus or it could be in my case, breaking your clavicle or, Whatever it is, whenever there's a dis- disruption to your normal everyday life, mm-hmm. I try – I don't always succeed, but I try to look at it as an opportunity. What does this time and disruption afford me the ability to do or try 
that I wouldn't normally and I've been meaning to get to. Yeah. What you know, we all like, have our regular routines and we like, you know, like around here, we get up, we start work at probably seven in the morning. You know, I go work out at nine. You know, it's a pretty routine day to day. In the evening, we eat dinner, six, six thirty, sometimes seven, watch a little TV, bedtime, you know, read a little bit, go to sleep, do it all over again. And then now it's like, okay, we can't go anywhere on the weekend. So now weekends are here. What are the things we've been meaning to do that we've been putting off because we've been going out and that we can yeah. do now? You know, whether yeah. it's working on the house or um, spending more time together, you what know, is connecting or whatever. Do what? What is my new normal? Right. Is kind of what we have to ask ourselves. Right. And, and what that, you know, what that entails a lot in regards to this is how has my schedule changed? Yeah. You know, how, how are my responsibilities? Because, you know, those of us, you know, if you got kids, kids are home 24-7. Yeah. And that, that changes everything. So what is my new norm? What's the new schedule like? How is my job affected? Am I working at home now? So there is an adjustment period for getting that figured out, mm -hmm. you know, figured out, figuring out my new norm. But then I, I think people are doing that. Um, I know that we're doing it, you know, around here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you said, I think you, you, you find your new norm. And I don't mean to sound like the tough guy coach, but at some point, if you are crying about it, you got to stop crying about it. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, again, think about, again, we're going to come out of this at some point. Do I want to be more fit or less fit when that day comes as I move towards the next thing in my endurance athlete life? But we also have to think about, though, is our immunity, mm -hmm. our immune systems. And, you know, I'll give you a really good example is I have an older uh, lady who's um, she's beyond master's years. She's a little bit older female athlete training for Ironman, an Ironman that has not yet been postponed at this point. Okay. Her son-in-law or, or they may just be engaged. I'm not quite sure, um, has an underlying health condition. So I, I called her up about 10 days ago and and I asked, I said, you know, how do you feel about this from the standpoint of, you know, you with your workload, you're going to be breaking down your immune system. And th at the time, this was someone who worked in an, in a, in an office setting with other mm -hmm. people around. Right. And, you know, are you sure about this? I mean, are, are we sure with where we're at? What you, you know, and she she walked away from the conversation as um, she said she had thought about it. She thought about her her son-in-law, her or her daughter's boyfriend and his heart condition and didn't want to bring anything to him because you could be asymptomatic, but have it and all that. And um, she came back and said, she came back and said, well, my office is now shut down. So I'm going to, I'm going to train for one more week and I'm going to take care of myself really well during that week. And then we'll revisit it and see, kind of see where everything's at. But I think everyone has to do that. You have to, you have to consider, you know, Am I stretching my system out beyond my history? Mm -hmm. uh, am I working harder than I ever have to where my immune system is definitely going to be um, suppressed temporarily? Um, do I live with other people? Am I still working around other people? To what extent do I have to help other people? Another athlete that I coach um, training for Dirty Cans at 200. Mm -hmm. um, father uh, has cancer and COPD, a lung condition. <laughs> and she flat out told me she still has to see him because she still has to take things to him. Yeah. And, 
So she shut it down. She made the decision. She's going to still train, but she's not going to do an event or workouts that are beyond what's going to, you know, tear down her immune system temporarily. Mm. So everyone has to make that a very, very important decision as well. So, you know, going through that, you got to look at, we come back to frequency, you know, the eight old age old adage, frequency, intent, frequency, intensity, and durations of workouts and how they might affect the immune system. And you, you got to remember one thing else from a medical standpoint is you cannot, you know, there's a lot of, you hear a lot about, oh, bolster your immune system with, with this or by doing this. And there's actually no such thing. If you ask a doctor, there's no such thing as bolstering an immune system. Your immune system can return to its quality given state based upon what you feed it with, what kind of uh, your lifestyle, um, your environment and everything. If your immune system is in tip top shape, you can't make it better. But as an athlete, you can break it down and you can break it down temporarily to where it doesn't come back um, super quick, depending upon what you're doing with your workouts, your sleep, your nutrition, your environment. So you have to really think about all those things. I mean, if you've never done an Ironman before and you're in the thrust of Ironman training and you're going where you've never gone before and you have people you live with, uh, I think you've got to think twice about, um, and I don't think it's a lifeline that you are 100% quarantined and working at home all of a sudden. I don't think that necessarily makes it better because, again, people can be asymptomatic. You're still going to have to go to the grocery store. Right. I mean, you're still going to have to go get gas in your car. Um, there's still going to be opportunities. And you, I think that athletes, you have to think about, you know, are your goals <laughs> appropriate, you know, training for that Ironman mm -hmm. right now if you are going to put yourself or others at risk. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, the, the trick here is that as we learn more about it, it's there are asymptomatic carriers where it's like yeah, you it's don't even scary. know that you have it or are bringing it to people. And, and that is the whole, you know, crux of social distancing or keeping your keeping away from people is yeah. that they could be carrying or you could be carrying and spreading, in, you know, a disease which we have no you know, uh, as far as I am aware, we don't have any kind of, um, what's, what's the word? Our immune system isn't built to fight it at all. Yeah. It's not, why it's, it's not, particularly novel. contagious. Yeah. Novel. Yeah. The word is novel. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's why I call it the novel virus is we don't have any previous exposures. So, yeah, I mean, it's, and I would, I would ask any endurance athlete who's training for something to think real hard is the training for this particular race, are you stretching yourself out to where it's going to compromise your immune system type thing? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, coaches are running out of time here or in my typical time frame. I'm sure we will probably end up talking more, but, um, the, what I'm asking everybody this year, you know, last year I asked you about food. My question this year, which we've already kind of touched on is what do you think the purpose of sport is? <laughs> Boy, I could go on about this one forever because I have actually, I've been thinking about this. And when you say sport, I, I'm, I'm assuming you mean sports in general, yep. like running, basketball, water polo, lacrosse. It could be anything. 
any form of what you might consider competitive physical activity. Yeah. Okay. So what is that role? Um, I think sport has a very important role that we need to embrace. And I won't be cliche and say all the stuff that most people would say, oh, it teaches kids about competitiveness. It keeps you in shape. You know, it gives you a, a hobby, an outlet. Uh, we know all that kinds of stuff. Um, and all that stuff is very important. And I like to say that everybody, everybody needs to have their thing. Everybody needs to have their thing. And if sport is your thing and you, you need to have that yes i do agree the the thought though that's been in my mind a lot lately is you know i have two kids 10 and five 10 and six now and they're both into sports um and they look like they'll be kids that'll be pretty good at sports growing up and, and that kind of thing but i see the level to which youth sports are at and what parents are doing with youth in sports and I say, I, I say the word commitment, but I don't even think the word commitment really scratches the surface. I think what I see in a lot of youth sports right now is overcommitment. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes I see it, I'm just like, what we do with our kids. And I do wonder about the lesson that we're teaching them. It is not uncommon. My daughter has friends who will be in four sports in one season. Mm -hmm. And they will spend a Saturday going from one to the next to the next. And the time, the, the money, and I think about the time they say spend, what, what is the opportunity cost of the time spent on some sports, especially with youth? And you could get into it a little bit with adults well, especially with endurance athletes. You know, um, should we, should an endurance athlete who's, 35 years old with a spouse and a child or two train 30 hours a week. I mean, um, because you definitely see it. And so I do, I think sports have a very important role because everyone needs to have their thing for many reasons, as we've talked about before and we know about, but I also wonder is sports in our society overcommitted right now with mm. some of the approaches that, that are taken. Fair and enough. I can go on, I, and at times I've wanted to go on a soapbox about youth sports and what, you know, and I played sports growing up. You know, I played, uh, I played basketball and baseball a lot. I did the cycling thing, but I don't ever remember it being like what it is now. And why is a nine-year-old traveling across the country to play in a competitive tournament? And I, I, I and is that athlete going to be injured? burnout mm -hmm. motivation by the time they're 14 and i see this and i'm just like i, I don't know so i think sports again everyone needs to have their thing um fitness um stress relief a hobby uh, an outlet sports are, uh, you know for example i think one of the huge challenges with this coronavirus thing now is Following sports is a huge outlet for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. No NCAA basketball tournament for me is killer. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we had that to fall back on and to be able to, to watch and enjoy, um, that's, 
I, I think that's a huge loss in our society right now. And sports has that important role. I do think, I do think though, that we're overcommitted in a lot of areas, mm-hmm. especially with the youth. But um, I definitely miss a lot of those sports right now. Uh, you know, opening day for baseball was supposed to be yesterday. I think it was, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think having those things taken away from our society, um, uh, you know, hopefully that's just more encouragement for people to get out and exercise, um, you know, to blow off some of that stress. So I, I go both ways, I guess, right now. Like I said, I've seen a lot of things and I'm seeing a lot of things in youth sports right now that I'm just, I wonder about our commitment level mm-hmm. and what we do to our children right now. Um, but uh, sports has a huge place in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll end there because we could probably go on for who knows how long. Um, Coach, if people want to get in touch with you, if they need a CPA, um, (laughs) where can they, where can they find you nowadays? Um, How about my email address? Okay. That's a great place. And then uh, my business has a Facebook page that I like to post on every once in a while. So, um, um, we can definitely share my email address. Would you like for me to give that now? Yeah, you can give it. And then, so if you're on YouTube, uh, those, these things will be on the screen. Uh, I will try to include it in the description for anybody listening on SoundCloud or iTunes. Um, if you want to get in touch with Ryan, so go ahead, go ahead and give it's that a lab. Yeah, it's, uh, it's R Y A N L R O S S. CPA, that's Ryan L. Ross, CPA, and then it's at gmail.com. Good deal. All right, Coach, I'm sure I'll have you back on for episode 100. Maybe uh, before then we'll see, because I know there's so many things for us to talk about. But um, thanks for spending some time with me today. Oh, yeah. Anytime, JF. We'll talk soon. All right.